The kind of old-fashioned cop who preferred working the streets and making arrests to taking tests toward promotion. He was the closest thing New York had to a dirty Harry. This is One Tough Podcast on the OG Podcast Network. Here's your host, Bo Deedle. Welcome to One Tough Podcast. I'm joined here, like always, with Carlo. Hello. Today, we're really pleased to have a guy that I know a lot of years. And we were Fox people together, I believe, right? Fox at one time. And uh, he's also an Emmy Award winner and Peabody Award winner. And he's also author of John Stossel. What's the name of your book, John? Well, give me a break. The first and the one that explains how I went from liberal to libertarians, probably the most relevant. But Stossel TV is my main thing now. Well, I'm going to tell you something. Honestly, I've seen your evolution from the liberal side to more of a libertarian. I, I really think as I get older, I've kind of formulated from probably a conservative being an ex-homicide detective. I got to say I was a conservative. But as I became a grandfather and got older, I look at issues differently. And I look at people's right to do what they want to do. And who am I to challenge people's uh, feelings of what they want to do in life? And I say I call it's myself time. I call myself a libertarian. I really do. All right. And, Welcome. And, a, and an independent. I'm not a uh, right-wing Trumpster. I like. Donald Trump, for what he's trying to do, he also, I believe, he's a narcissist. He lies a lot. And, you know, I've, I've, I've been public about this. But with all that said, he's still trying to get something done, which the of the last eight years prior to him, we didn't get crap done in this country. I'm a guy, you know, I could deal with a person working hard, even though they have some questionable uh, narcissists. I think we are all, all a little bit narcissists, no? Sure. I mean, I'm a narcissist, I think. I'm a, hey. We're on this podcast. We must be narcissists. Right. I mean, we, we want people to like us. And then on top of it, sometimes you get caught up like on little fibs, sometimes a little bit more than little fibs when you're, especially in politics. You know, when I ran for mayor of New York City, I was very out there and I said about the problems with the people in the housing projects, about that they were not getting what they were. I said, if I was the mayor, I would have probably opened it up for free enterprise, privatization of the housing. Certainly they could do better than the city because they were running to the ground and the homeless situation. Drive up on Fifth Avenue in the 80s. They got tents near Central Park. It's becoming looking like San Francisco. I mean, and this guy here is such a zero. And now he wants to be the president. He doesn't want to be the president. It's all about money, raising money, you know, John. But let's let's stay with you because we could try to solve the world's problems and New York City problems. But we won't do that today. I want to know, how did you get into the industry? I fell into it right out of college. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I went to every campus interview at Princeton in 1969, and the lowest paid offer was sounded most interesting, a free trip to the Pacific Northwest, work for Seattle Magazine. By the time I got there, it You went graduated out of, Princeton? Yeah. Well, very, very nice. Seattle Magazine was out of business by the time I got there, so they said, you want to work in our Portland, Oregon TV station? Okay. <laughs> I'd never even watched TV news. 
And I learned through fear. I didn't want to fail. And I think I succeeded more than the journalism students did because I never took a journalism course. And I just looked around. What what do people want? I was bored at Princeton. The lectures were just dull. And I thought people need news presented clearly and with video that helps make the point. And then you became an investigative reporter. I'm a stutterer, so I didn't want to be on the beats with the political reporter and people like you embarrassing myself by going, bo-deedle. So I covered what other people didn't, so I could cut the stutters out. Mm -hmm. And that made me a consumer reporter, and that led to saying, we really need to investigate before I say this business is a fraud. And that became investigative. Uh Uh-huh. And then as far as... With the, again, we'll go back, and I hate to compare you to my friend, uh, I'm going to see next week, Geraldo Rivera. You know, he's a, he's a, uh, he likes the, um, the Al Capone vault. I'm going to open up. It's going to get open. Not knowing what the hell's in here. Sensationalism. But he did do his big claim to fame, and I love Geraldo. He was to the left. Now he's come as he got, as he's gotten older, he's come to the middle of the road. Also, it's just funny to see. I remember Geraldo R- Rivera when I was a, um, a detective, a cop in the East Harlem. He was the lawyer for the Young Lords, and he was lefty, le- lefty, lefty, lefty. And now all of a sudden, he's driving his car in the center of the highway. He still has economic lessons we have to teach him, but yeah, he's come around. Then why do people pick on him for Al Capone's fault? It was smart TV. It turned out to be a He didn't know, and he got Game of Thrones-like ratings for it. (laughs) But uh, before your time, Carlo, and the thing is that it was like one of the most watched things of all times, and it was all bullshit, and that was the end of it. It turned out to be empty, but we didn't know. So, John, when you were initially going into consumer reporting, uh, it seems like you kind of had free reign to do that because, you know, people weren't really paying attention. It wasn't like politics or crime or other headlines that people are chasing. So did you find you had more freedom to pursue uh, stories that you were more interested in and take your time to really do a a solid investigation? Yes, and my stuttering helped guide me to that because I didn't want to rush through. Most of the reporters would come in the morning, they'd get an assignment from the assignment desk, they'd shoot it, they'd cut it in the afternoon, and they'd be fighting for the editors, and they'd get it on for the six o'clock news. So I said, hey, I'll shoot in the afternoon, cut in the morning, I'll take a week and do four stories at a time. You wanted to get the real whole story, not just sensational journalism. You wanted to go deep, get and and look underneath and all around on it. Well, I hate to say deep because it is TV after all, but deeper. Yeah. And I won the 19 Emmys. Wow. Bashing business, criticizing business, calling for government regulation. And my peers love that. WCBS offered me a job in New York. Uh, Now that I criticize government, no more awards from my peers. Now I'm on the dark side. Wow. So how did that develop? So initially when you were going after bashing businesses and saying this needs to be regulated, someone needs to step in, what led to the evolution where you're saying that maybe businesses, the free market is correct and we should let, you know, the individual decide? I was slow and stupid to see it, but... It was in front of me all the time. We'd cover these stories. We'd call for regulation. 
politicians would respond, and young John Stossel felt so good, these politicians are paying attention to me, and they'd say, for example, we would take a TV set or a car to 20 repair shops with one loose part, and most are honest. And, and you would, would take it around to each repair shop right. and see what kind of, <laughs> I love that, go ahead. And maybe two out of 20 would say, all right, we got to keep it as uh, week later, yeah, 300 bucks or more. And I'd say, more serious than well, you would think. you ever just not put the spark plug back in and, and rip us off? Oh, we would never do that. Oh, yeah, watch this. And I'd play the video. <laughs> so the politicians said, that's great TV, and we're going to fix this problem. We're going to create a Department of Consumer Affairs. Yeah. And they did in Oregon, based on my reporting. And we're going to license repair shops. And people like that because we license dogs, we license drivers, we think it makes us feel mm -hmm. safer. But I stayed on the beat because I wasn't looking to move up. And we would do it again, and we get the same results. So it made me say, well, what, what are these regulators doing? And they would have some dreary building with dreary people hunched over desks filling mm -hmm. out forms. And all it did was make everything cost a little more, employ some people uselessly, squeeze immigrants out of the market because they couldn't figure out the rules, so they would operate on the black market. It didn't help consumers. By contrast, competition, raw competition, really helps consumers because in a free society, the way to get really filthy rich is to give your customers good stuff, what mm -hmm. people want, serve them well. Right. You know, over the years, as I said, I was a big follower of yours, and I used to love to watch you when you did your expertise. Uh, it's like a child. You did so many of these reporting. What was one that really jumps out as your best piece of work that you uncovered something that was vital to Americans? Boy, vital. Uh, I was a consumer reporter. None of it was vital, but just to, to catch the cosmetics companies making the expensive and the cheap stuff on the same vat in Queens. So that was, was census just... workers sitting in McDonald's because they were afraid to go into the projects to to account people. Um, I think my best work has been since been debunking the media myths that are scaring people to death. For so let's talk about that like, because that's a, you know it's going like on right now. Pesticides are causing the cancer epidemic. That was big for a long time. Right. That, that, what do you call that? That stuff for the weed killer. The Roundup. There. Roundup. Roundup now. Before that, it was dioxin. That's what they created, these Superfund sites and spending billions of taxpayer money so that you, you could go and eat the dirt and not be hurt in response. Um, you know about the cancer epidemic? There is none. Cancer rates have been flat. Death rates are down because treatment's improving. But we're using all these new chemicals, and people are living longer. There's no cancer epidemic. These they started by giving doses of the stuff to rats, and the rats would get tumors. Because <laughs> they gave so much to the rats. So much, yes. <laughs> and then this guy, Bruce Ames, said, well, you know, rats, you can study rats, but it takes a while before they breed, and then you can see if they grow the tumors. Let's study bacteria, because they breed really quickly, and we can mm. get millions in a Petri dish. So they started doing the Ames test to find mutations. Then they banned all kinds of stuff because they were finding them. But then he no, started... For example, our eggs. We love eggs. Yeah, was that eggs, eggs were bad for your cholesterol? Now I come back, eggs are good. I don't know what the hell to do. Though eggs are heart disease, these were 
cancer-causing, supposedly. But then he tested broccoli and regular bread, and he found they were mutagens, too, at the doses they were giving the bacteria. <laughs> and that it was all Bull bullshit. And yet it's spread throughout society. You've got these ridiculous organic claims and people paying much more for organic food and mothers feeling guilty that they can't pay three times as much if they don't have the money to buy the natural organic stuff. That's a bigger scam than any individual business. One, one thing I got to say and to take off this, but I'm 68 years old. People are living longer. If they have all these contaminants in our life, why are people living to the middle 90s as a normal when when I grew up in the 50s? You're lucky if you in the 70s. It was bye bye, baby. So in reality, if all these contaminants are killing us, I like that. All these contaminants are killing us. How come people are living longer? Some of it, people would say, your, my opponents would say, well, we have Lipitor, we have better medical care. How much of Lipitor I don't take? I'm, I'm one of the people that can't take statin. So I they, they come up with another one prevalent now that I take every two weeks. But the point is that Lipitor causes the breakdown of muscle. So you get a cramping in your body, and that could be very, very serious because when you get breaking down your muscle, it's all muscles in your body. So we don't even know what the long-term effects of friggin' Lipitor is, uh, of a statin I'm talking about. I, know, I, think, I think the statins, you're right. You never really know the long-term, but the statins have... They've been demonstrated to really to cut down lives. on the car, on the uh, uh, the, the heart disease. Yeah, yeah. So, John, were you always uh, had this skeptical mind, or did it kind of develop with time? I think so. I was skeptical of business; they were ripping people off, and now I'm skeptical of the state planners, mm-hmm. of the Bodiedels who want to become mayor and run. No, my life, no, no, never know? again, John. <laughs> never. You know why I want to become mayor? Because I dislike. De Blasio so much. You think I wanted to spend 18 months of my life in a battle running in this city that's dominated with the Board of Elections. Uh, Ken Langone, head of Home Depot, multi-billion, a good friend of mine. He's the one that said to me, well, look at Bo. The only way I'll support you is if you run as a Democrat. And really, you could put whatever label you want. I'm still a grandfather, and I still love people. Whether you're, I have more friends that are Democrats and liberals than I do as conservatives. These are my friends, and we don't talk. You live in New York. Well, Mel Weiss, God rest his soul, the old class action boy, uh, probably largest Democratic fundraiser. He was my best friend. I said, Mel, we don't talk about politics. So the reason he was despicable. He was your best friend. Yeah, but you know what? He's to sue everybody. Yes, that's life-wrecking. Well, this was the deal. He ended up suing Donald Trump back in the 90s when he had the casinos in Atlantic City. And uh, Mel sues him. Also, I get a call from uh, 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 Donald Trump. He calls me. He goes, you know this guy, Mel? I said, yeah, I know Mel. I said, yeah. Yeah, he goes, well, and I'm not going to tell you exact words he used, but... Put it this way, Donald Trump did his homework on him and found something that was kind of devastating to him. If it would have been released, uh, Mel would have had a problem. So I go back to Mel and I tell him about what Donald said. He goes, that son of a bitch. I said, Mel, you're suing for hundreds of millions of dollars his livelihood. Well, he's going to come at you, too. Make a long story short, it was settled and it was all finished. And all. But this is a perfect example of, uh, you know, my feelings of politics 
are totally different than anyone else. I want to get the job done. I hate to kiss union people's asses. I hate to kiss uh, people who give me money's asses. I like to do the job and get a job get the job done as efficiently as, as we can. It's not a Republican or a Democratic thing. The problem I've seen in society is with these lobbyists and everyone sucking up, nothing gets done in Washington because everybody's out there for a reason. And this is an area that we're going to go into now. All right, but I want to push back because I yeah. don't like your language here. Okay. Two things. You want stuff to get done in Washington? Yeah. I don't. I want them to do less. All Every year they do more, and we're being strangled by rules. You used the phrase, going to run New York City. No, the politi- we free people run New York City. The politicians, despicable as they are, run New York City government. And we need limited government. But we don't need more stuff done no, by what, these what rules. I'm talking about efficient stuff out of Washington, when you have a military that has four different branches and they're paying these abnormal amounts. So say if the budget for the military is $50 billion, and of that $50 billion, you've got $15 billion of total, $20 billion of total waste, why not correct that? Why not run a a, a well-organized government that cuts out all that waste? And we need now infrastructure. Part of my thing was I talked to the president about it. Part of my thing is they talk about two trillion of infrastructure. We need it. Our bridges are falling. Our roads are falling. But of that two trillion, that could turn out when said and done with all these contracts could be three trillion. One trillion of overrides. Why not have? And here, here's your regulation that I feel as though it would be good. Why not have a company like Cohen Resnick? They go in there, they get fifty million dollars on a billion dollar deal, and they've gone in there for forensic accountants to see you're bidding a billion dollars for that tunnel. Can they build it for a billion dollars? And they're on top of it. So there's no cost overruns. Is that regulatory? Whatever you call it, I'm for that. What would be your problem with that? You're trying to teach a cat to bark. Government will always do it badly. We need government. You talked about military. Yeah. They waste money, but we need a military. We need your police department, local spending. We need some environmental rules. We certainly don't need an IRS. We could have a flat tax, can eliminate tremendous amounts of IRS, make it equally fair amongst different levels of paying taxes where you don't have to worry about the IRS agent coming. You make this, you pay this. You'll make that, you pay that. A flat tax. What's your feelings with that? Fine. But here are my other point. You can do things by having greedy business people do them, or having charities do them, or having government. Well, we know charities. We look at a lot of the charities are as greedy as anything. Some are. Government, though, is the worst, because when government does something, you may have great people who come in there, eager beavers who want to do it right the first year, first five years, but they can't innovate. It's illegal. You can't change the rules without applying to your superior. Sometimes you have to wait four years until there's a new politician elected. The charities can at least innovate a little. And you're right. Some are wasteful, but some are very good. But business constantly must innovate or they go out of business. Government never goes out of business. You're how old, John? Oh, four years older than you. Okay. You look frigging good. But listen... I in the chose 1950s, my carefully. like you grew up in the 1950s, like I did, part of the thing was, and where I grew up was, 
get a city job, get a state job, get a federal job. You get your pension, you go there. And you know yourself the inefficiency of whether it be city, state, you call up there. I could go into New York City now and go into any agency. What is your job description? It's a waste, wasteful amount. I would say 80% of city, state, and federal jobs have a to have a waste factor of up near 80%. You could do it with 20% and more efficient. You don't believe that? I've seen it in my lifetime. You could rarely teach the cat to bark. This is the nature of government. Why have government build the infrastructure? Why not say, we need this new road, private companies, you compete. And if the private company doesn't do well, they fire them. But you have to be consistent as it's being built because it'll come to the one billion. Say you have a budget of one billion. The airport, LaGuardia Airport, they had three billion dollars. They overruns are crazy. But once they started, you're pregnant. You're not. You can't be unpregnant. Or what are you going to do? Bring another company in, and they're going to say, "Well, this thing's all screwed up. We got to take this down because the infrastructure don't set up." So then you come into that domino effect that you can't finish the job unless that billion dollar job becomes a two billion. Look at even. Even where I live up, up in the Upper East Side, they have a, a transfer station of garbage. They built it. They had a, a half of uh, it was $250,000 uh, uh, paycheck on it to build it. They're well over $600 million. No one questions this. That's a problem to me. I do like your idea. Privatization works better than government. We're not far from Bryant Park. You ever go yeah. there? It's beautiful. Yes. Yes. So my, mot- my most watched video of this new crop, we've got about 12 million views, is the one on the $2 million bathroom in Brooklyn that the city built in a Brooklyn park. Why does it cost $2 million? I interviewed the parks commissioner. He said, now it would cost $3 million. Why? Well, this, we have to build them sturdily. And union. And union and Davis-Bacon and Bryant Park, it costs $250,000. He said, well, ours get a lot of use. Bryant Park gets <laughs> much more use, but it's a business improvement, whatever those things are called, district. And yeah, it was yeah, done opportunity by the private, zone. Right. Big. Three million for a bathroom. There are houses in that neighborhood with five bedrooms and three bathrooms that sell for $400,000. It's 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 you know we're sitting here today, and one of the things about you is you expose this type of stuff, which is great. But you really ever think that you're exposing stuff to deaf deaf ears? Yes. And it's frustrating, right? Yes. Because when you do something like that, you go you're screaming. We I love watching sixty minutes. I don't know if you like it or don't like it, but Sometimes I I like the investigative job. side of sixty minutes where they really. Look deep in it. They're not just uh, sensationalized stories. They look deep in there, John. And then you get the whole value over a period of one hour. You might have three lead stories, but they, they look in, they look, they kick the tires and all that. There's been some effectively wrong reporting, and that's what we're going to go next. Like even with my friend there, what was his name with the with uh, uh, President Bush? Dan got, Rather. Dan Rather, Yeah. But uh, that's leading me into this side because I think it's important being that you are recognized, whatever shape or form. You're a news media person. I want to know what your feelings are, John, on the, you know, I'm not going to use the adjective fake news. I'm not, I'm tired of that freaking adjective. But what do you think, like even take example, you have this 
congresswoman from Hawaii, quite a smart young lady. Tulsi Gabbard. A Democrat who has really good middle-of-the-roads ideas and all that. And now they bring out that they found out she's a communist because of street communications or something. With con- the, the news media effectively not talking about our jobs, not talking about the economy. All they do is when something good that Trump does, they will not report it. What's your feelings about that? Some of it is the nature of news. You're, you know, nobody's out by the back fence gossiping about who's faithful to their spouse. It's amazing that the planes take off and land and don't crash, but the news is if they crash. So it's always going to be the problem that's news. Yeah, but the thing is, the way reporting, I always thought we grew up with one guy, Walter Cronkite, and you don't remember him, uh, Carlo. When he said something, if he told me the Martians landed in New York City yesterday, the Martians landed, and I think you felt that way too. We, it was the most believable news. News was reported as is, was reported. It wasn't politically slanted. Today, if you turn on MSNBC, CNN, it's Don Lemon or that uh, other gal there. Whatever you turn on, even if we go to Fox with my friends in Fox, I mean, my friend Sean's on there. He's battling for the president. But it's so, both sides, I feel as though it's too politicized. It's got to be reported as is, no? Well, that would be nice, but Remember the when you're talking about reporting on jobs, the reporters are ignorant about economics or what creates jobs or what creates wealth. They're not capable of reporting on this. And Cronkite was on the left. In some ways, when I was in the mainstream media, it was sleazier because people thought it was straight news. But we were all on the left. And at least now you know that CNN is on the left and Fox is on the right. But what galls me, and where Trump is right to say it's fake news, it's not that the reporters purposely lie. It's just they miss the point. They scare you about the little stuff. They scare you so much about plane crashes. More people drive to grandma's house for Thanksgiving, and that's statistical murder. We commit statistical murder. I mean, as far as people overdosing opioids, what would be 75,000 a year dying on overdoses across the country? And I don't mean to laugh about it, but I mean, we have some severe things. When you you count the planes taking off and landing, you're very right. You're much more safer in the plane than you are in your own car. But Going back to the, how did our news media, because you've been around, and I didn't know you were that old, but you've been around longer than me. How did news reporting turn out to be so political? That's the, that's the way I have to ask. Because when you talk, when you talk, political. when you talk, Stossel, I really listen because you're very educated. One, number two is you've taste, you've tasted all the avenues. My direct question, how did it become so you know, political. Because the smug, smug lefties at the networks and the New York Times and PBS and NPR only covered one side. And then talk radio and Fox happened and saw they could get ratings with the other side. And so everybody hardened into their positions. And now clickbait has happened. And the amazing thing about, I put my stuff out on Facebook Twitter, and YouTube. And they don't show you every, everything from your friends. The algorithm picks certain right. things to show. Really? And if you look at 
something for a fraction of a second longer, you'll get more of that. So they give you more of what you already like and believe. So, so if I, you got a negative story, they just keep clicking that right, over. And you get these false narratives. My son told me about this. He, he lives in Brooklyn. And he said when, when Hillary won the New York primary, all his friends were apoplectic. This can't be true. We all hate Hillary. We all love Bernie. Bernie had to have gotten the most votes. It, all my media feed is about how terrible Hillary is. How could she have won? Our minds are being twisted by the social media algorithms. Yeah, I mean, in reality, when you have a jobs report with African-American and Hispanic, if it truly is what we, the report is the report, the numbers are the numbers. In reality, you they, they take the African-American vote and the Hispanic vote, and they take it and say 95% are going to vote Democrat. But when reality, you have a lot of African-Americans that are becoming successful, their children are getting well-educated, and they like this capitalism thing. Hard work equals success. So in reality, an African-American who votes the next election, next how are you feeling today? How is your family doing? That's how you should vote. If this guy, this narcissist is doing a good job, why wouldn't you want him over a psychopath like uh, like Ocasio or, uh, or Kamala Harris, whatever, when they're talking out of their asses about what they want to do, free, 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 free. But people don't realize I run a business. Free, free, free. No, you've got to pay for it. Let me be a horrible guest and give you a hard time. No, please. Why do you use a seven-syllable word when you're counting seconds? You just use it three times instead of a one-syllable word. What was that word? African-American. Okay. What's wrong with black? It's because it's not, it's not politically correct today. It's fine. Blacks are fine with black. Is Jesse it? Jackson in 1970-something said, we should be called African-Americans. And all of us white people now cringe and say, okay, yes, sir. I mean, they're calling British black people African-Americans. <laughs> Which is ridiculous. So, totally so I can say black? Blacks is and fine. I can say Stossel told me to do that? All right, that's it. I, Ask follow. your black friends. They'll say yeah. black. All right, let's get back to something you brought up about Facebook and the algorithms. Uh, with, with what do you have to say about the social media networks, you know, playing with our brains? Do you feel that there should be any type of regulation with social media networks? No. That's government doing something, and regulation almost always makes things worse. I mean, you can have the politicians decide what's allowed to be on Facebook. I would rather have those of us in the market just saying, ooh, this is icky. I'm not going to yeah, go to Facebook anymore. There's only one anymore. other side of that. If it's for national security and you got one of these Abba Dabba Doo, uh, ISIS-supporting son-of-a-bitches there that are preaching this to our youth, yeah, look, a lot of kids are not doing good. They get Today, depression is more prevalent than the 1950s. Every kid's got problems. They're depressed, and I have children, and I have a grandson now. For some reason, this advent of this depression has overcome everything. And if you got somebody who's not doing well depressed and they see one of these ISIS 
persons preaching that this is going to be the ever, ever never land of 72 virgins and Allah will welcome you. You blow yourself up on the, on the M train, B train, whatever. I mean, there should be some sort of control on the internet because there's a lot of people that are watching that ain't like you, me and Carlo that will be affected by why can't we eliminate anything that could pertain to violence against people? Because there are billions of people out there saying stuff. It's not always so clear what is inciting imminent violence, and that is banned. Supreme Court upheld that, and that should be prosecuted or taken off. Oh, then, so but we agree on that. It's hard to keep up with all of it. Well, I mean, that's something that, that answers that question. Obviously, if someone is preaching that they want to do, hurt people or destroy or violence and all that— that could be something that I could vote for tomorrow if I was a Supreme Court judge. I think that we feel as though if it's going to hurt somebody and they're preaching on our Internet, that should be eliminated. If you remember, I was down there, 9-11. We had this thing called the Patriot Act. No one cared who was bugging whose phone. Just please stop this. Who attacked us right in New York? You were able to do anything. Subsequently, people become, uh, a comp- uh, what's the word? They become complacent, and now they don't think it's going to happen. And my feelings are, as a security person, this thing ain't over. You're going to have someone sitting behind their computer watching Abba Dabba do, and he's depressed, and the next thing set off a couple of depression people, and we're going to have problems again. We have to minimize the threat to our existence, no? Yes, but again, I'm going to push back. Uh, You have been fearful of the terrorism, and being scared makes for bad law. I did this investigation on what kills people, and we cover the plane crashes, as I mentioned. The the risk specialists point out it takes less than one day off the average life. House fires take nine days off the average life. Terrorism, if 9-11 happened every two years, And it's been 16. If it happened every two years, two days off the average life. So it's terrible, but it's a big country. And compared to smoking cigarettes or driving or just being poor, if if the terrorism rules mean you can't open the business or you can't get to where you're going, and that makes America a little poorer, that kills people too. Yeah, I mean, look at that. If you were to weigh out my beliefs, I feel as though what happens when we board a plane is so, and that's why I like this clear, and I like this pre-boarding and all that kind of stuff. The fact is, I'm a good American. I'm willing to put my reputation and my background on file where I can look and use my eyes to get in through clear without the weight on this line. And the idea about if I'm carrying a bottle of water that's an explosive and that slips through and I'm a good, solid person... Well, be it, because what they do to you in the airport, they make you show ID, but when you vote, they don't make you show ID. Where? Why is that not fair? And it's another illustration of government versus the private sector. In Kansas City and San Francisco, they reluctantly allowed the private sector to operate screening. And it's less horrible. The screeners are more cheerful. Why? Because the private contractor knows if he doesn't do you a good job. You mean they don't have TSA there? No, TSA does not run it. TSA oversees it so they can fire the contractor if they screw up. But they test them, and they find they're much more likely to find the contraband. TSA. 
Then the TSA is. Federal worker against a private sector. Because the boss of the private sector knows he's got to try stuff that's better. What, what this guy does in San Francisco, he plays music and they have speed contests. And you win a prize if, if you're quicker at going through the luggage. And I interviewed the passengers. He said, yeah, wow, these people smile at you. This was much more pleasant. Yeah, I'm for that. I, I really, that's why the private side sometimes and a lot of times is more efficient than the, than the public side. I mean, than the uh, government side. Always. Yeah. John, yeah. another question I have for you. So we briefly got into a debate on, you know, privatization and the benefits of that. Uh, and that seems like it's it's hard to get people to get their mind around opening up uh what's traditionally been the domain of government towards, uh, you know, private companies. Totally. But um, it seems like we're getting there in other smaller ways with um, gambling legalization, marijuana legalization, that type of thing. Do you think that that is leading more people in the direction of libertarian thought? I think libertarian thought led to the legalization. Okay. Now that it's legal and government's mucking it all up with a million rules and it's not working that well, I don't think that persuades people to to love freedom yeah. because you start to see the problems. Well, we know one thing. It, it, it kind of eliminates the organized crime side of it. Oh, it's good to do. Yeah. Uh, gambling should be legal. Sex work should be legal. I think what happened to Bob Kraft, he got a, a massage and a happy ending. What the hell's wrong? He should be happy. He was 78 years old. And they, may, and they took him out to test for this. My idea is, hey, look at a massaging your shoulder and your penis. What in the hell is the difference? I totally agree. But worse, look what your fellow police, former fellow, They waited. No, no, no. I'm down on that. Okay. I, I'm publicly down on how they waited for two months till a high profile. If these women were being white slaves and captured... You have warrants. You hit the place. Free them. Right. It was never, ever the initiative. They wanted a headline where you had this chief standing with his four stars. Oh, we got Bob Griff, and we're going to show the video of his penis. If I was Bob Griff, I'm 78. Yeah, show the video. My dick still gets hot. Right? I'd be proud of it. You're, you're exactly right. The cops were awful. These women even had massage licenses in but Florida, the, but the one and they're they gave, hard to get. But the one that got the, gave them a little hand job was the madam. She was like, 50-something years old. She, I mean, come on now. This was no hot chick either. And how are the cops helping them by locking them up? Yeah, exactly. What the hell does that do? What does that do? But the, the deal is this, as follows again, it, with the liberalization of all these things. For me, I don't like pot, but I don't think people should not be able to smoke your life. Because being a person who likes my cocktails, you still drink? Yes. Okay, we enjoy a cocktail. We're able to, thank God, control it. Then I have somebody else who's an AA. They can't even look at it. They go hallelujah every night with the AA meetings. Look at that. If it's that bad, fine. But my point is that I really believe that, you know, I I think pot is safer than alcohol. Our cirrhosis of our liver it could cause. But and now they come out with testing. Uh, one or two drinks a day is good for you. So if you could control anything, moderation is fine, right? Sure. And but the, you should know as a young man that it's it's now called weed mostly. It's oh, pot is our has been has been. What do you call it, Uh I think the proper term now is cannabis. I think that's what they're oh, saying. Oh, so you're getting real educated with this <laughs> shit. Well, listen, you know what, John? I I really really thank you coming on board. We do something every week, and our podcast is getting pretty big. It's out there pretty good. We do something every week. We call it our punk of the week. It could be a situation. 
or a, a person or a thing or what, something that bothers you. So I'd like to know what your punk of the week is. I have to pick one? Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe it's the story you're working on right now. Maybe. I mean, the one I just posted is the video. It really bothers me that these cops say, aren't we great? And we're stopping sex slavery. When there is almost no sex slavery, it's almost all voluntary consensual. sex work, consensual between adults that ought to be left alone. So and I do the video and I, on social media, a lot of posts from people who just, who were, I used to be your fan, John, but this is just wrong. No woman can voluntarily choose this. That's bullshit. It's utter bullshit. That's utterly bullshit. But I agree with you on that one. What about you, Carla? What's your punk of the week? Uh, Going back to how government screws everything up, uh, mine would have to be the MTA. My train was 30 minutes delayed today, and it's been bad this whole month. Yeah. Or how about de Blasio just sitting there, not managing, while the homelessness on the subway keeps well, becoming more difficult? My punk of the week, it's normally every week is de Blasio. So I wanted to divert a little bit uh, to what we were talking about, again, where... We should have a czar. Here we go, more regulation. A czar, he's hitting himself in the head, uh, John. A czar of, if we're going to spend $2 trillion on infrastructure in this country, we should have a czar that hires companies that do forensic investigation to companies that say they can build for such and such price. In other words, if that tunnel is going to be 20,000 yards of concrete, you'll know, you take your adding machine, how much it's going to cost. Now they're coming in with a billion. When you know yourself, it'll be a billion three just for the damn concrete where you can say you can't win this bid because you can't produce it. That's what I'm talking about. I'm against waste. And that's well, you're going to get a billion three worth of lobbying trying to influence the czar. Why not <laughs> just say, you want to build a tunnel? Okay, use wiring now with the new electronics. You'll charge the people who go through the tunnel. Spend your own money. Build your own tunnel, spend your own money. Right. I like that, too. That's, I mean, that's, that's how a... America's first highways were built. They were toll roads. Toll roads. I like that. So we like got that. the word turnpike. It used to be a pike that would come down. Yeah, that was before your time, Carlo. I think it was a little before my time, too. Before my time. Well, first of all, John, I really, we tried to track you down. You're one of the most interesting guests I ever had. And uh, a lot of your views I do agree with. And as I get older, not saying that you're, you're, I know you're four years older than me, I'm starting to turn my values and views in your direction. There wasn't too many things that I disagree with you on, believe it or not. You think gun-wearing, right-wing, bo-deedle, tough cop shit. No, I'm not. I'm a grandpa, and I'm a person that looks at values, and I understand all sides. And people should be more compassionate to look at both sides instead of because I'm a Republican, I got to vote for all these moronic things. And to, oh, I'm against abortion when you know, I mean, that's bull crap. Moderation is the way of of of, of compassion, and it's also compromise. Moderation. And we'll leave that on that note. And Carlo, take it away. All right, John, Thank you, John. Uh, where can people find you? Where can we see your videos and follow you on social media? Go to johnstossel.com. Okay, great. Uh, you can follow us. We're at One Tough Podcast on Twitter. Bo is at Bo Deedle on Twitter and at The Real Bo Deedle on Instagram. You could find me. I'm CJ Catunio on all platforms. 
We appreciate our fans. You can find the show wherever you get podcasts and also OG podcasts on Twitter and Instagram. Email all your questions to one tough podcast at gmail.com and we'll see you next week. Well, hold on, hold on. John Stossel.com. We got a lot of 20,000 listeners. It's John S T O S S E L for the correct spelling.com. You tune into John, you'll see some really interesting and educational and short ideas and you look at john you look at john differently he's not that weirdo that comes up on saturday night like well i think this no this is an educated man who balances things out a lot of things he says are real factual and you could like it or dislike it he's just showing you the truth and it's not fake news john stossel says true news right how you like to leave it with that good john stossel the truth in reporting. I like that. The truth in reporting. Thank you, John. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.